and for us. We thank you, Jesus, that you knew what was coming on the cross and you went through with it anyways. And as we think about today being Palm Sunday and how you intentionally headed into Jerusalem, headed toward your death to offer yourself as a sacrifice, we praise you. And God, we pray that you would give us insight today as we open your words, not just insight into what's true about it, but about how you want us to live because of what's true about it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay. Um, something a little different here to start out my sermon. I need a volunteer. We're going to have a game show, okay? Anybody like game shows? Now, I, I, it needs to be somebody, I was thinking maybe somewhere between 6th and 10th grade. Do we have anybody in the congregation that fits in between 6th grade and 10th grade? <laughs> anybody that would like to be a volunteer? If not, we could open it up somewhere else. But 5th grade, Mikkel? Do you want to try it, Mikkel? Okay, Mikkel, come on up. You're our first contestant on everybody's favorite game show called, let's see if we can get this thing to work, Todd, um, called the, the Pronoun Game. Okay, stand over here, Mikkel. First of all, uh, Mikkel, tell us, what, what's your name? Mikkel. Mikkel, all right. Mikkel, we already knew that part. Uh, where are you from, Mikkel? Fergus. Fergus Falls, all right. And uh, what do you do for a living? <laughs> do you go to school? Yeah. You go to school, okay, all right. You don't have a job? All right. Well, you're in fifth grade, I suppose you've got a little bit of time. What do you, what do you want to do when you grow up? Be a vet. Be a vet, okay. All right. You like animals? Yeah. Okay, well, great. Well, Mikkel... Do you know what a pronoun is? Maybe? A like little. A little bit? Okay. Words like he or him or her or his, words like that. Okay. We're going to play a game here called the pronoun game. And the job that you have is to fill in the blank. You see how there's one blank up there? Okay. So I'm going to read this whole thing. I've underlined some of the pronouns in there already. And your job is to fill in the blank with what you think that last pronoun should be. Okay. So here it goes. You ready? Yeah. Billy disobeyed his parents. He stayed out past his curfew. He didn't call his parents to let them know where he was, so blame. He got grounded. Let's see if you're right. After this commercial, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> he, you got right. Way to go. Okay. okay. You getting hang of this? You want another one? Yeah. Okay, good. Okay, here we go. Jan didn't pay attention in class. She didn't do her homework. She didn't study for her test. So, blank, failed the test. She. She. Uh, all right, audience, what do you think? You can phone a friend if you need to. You can, you can call somebody in the audience if you need to ask them. You, you're pretty sure on this? Yeah. Final answer? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. She failed the test. All right. Okay. Okay. We've got one more. You ready yeah. for This is the bonus round. Yeah. This is the one where you could walk away with nothing. But... Uh, <laughs> Okay. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, and the Lord has laid on blank the iniquity of us all. Now think about this one. If you need to phone a friend, if you need to call somebody, you can. But what do you think? What is the Grandma. Blank? Grandma? <laughs> I can't hear you. She can't hear you, Grandma. Your grandma's saying him. Okay. Do you want to pull the audience? We can do that too. What's we that? could say we could ask the audience to raise their hand. But uh, no. no, you think yeah. you're gonna go with grandma? I'm gonna go with. to go with grandma. So your final answer is him. But it looks like it should be us. No. Like the other ones, Billy got in trouble. Jan got in trouble. 
him. It's him. You're sure. Final answer. Okay. The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. All right. Good job, Mikhail. Thank you very much. You can go back to your seat now. Good job. Okay. Remember that. that I mean, this is, this is fascinating stuff. I've, I've, for years, I've looked at the pronoun. That's a Bible verse, by the way, that last one that we did. And I want to explain to you where that one came from today. Um, as I've already mentioned, today is Palm Sunday. Um, for the last four Palm Sundays here at Cornerstone Church, I have preached on a traditional Palm Sunday passage. You know, each, each of the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, has a Palm Sunday passage in them. So it's a really important deal. It's the story, you know, Jesus riding in to Jerusalem on the donkey, and the people are praising him. They're laying their coats down. They're laying palm branches down. They're shouting wonderful things to him. It's an important passage. Uh, but I'm not going to preach on one of those passages today. So uh, a couple couple options. If any of you here is like really angry that I'm not going to preach on a Palm Sunday passage today, you can storm out right now, you know, throw a fit and leave. Um, or if you really just need a Palm Sunday fix, you can go onto our website and look at one of the last four years of the Palm Sunday sermons that I have preached. Or you could just give me a chance today. We're going to look at Isaiah, and uh, I think that there's some really cool Palm Sunday stuff in here as well. Because did you know, like I said, all four Gospels have a Palm Sunday message, passage in them, did you also know that all four Gospels mention the fact that Jesus was silent before his accusers? That as he was put on trial first by the Jews and then by the Romans, that he was silent at various points as they were asking him, what are you going to say about yourself? Did you know that Jesus was fulfilling Old Testament prophecy with his silence? It's from Isaiah 53, 7, and it's going to be in our passage today. This passage we're going to look at from Isaiah 52 and 53 is a really famous passage in the Bible. One of the reasons it's so famous is because it's quoted a lot in the New Testament. In fact, I found at least seven places in the New Testament where our passage is quoted. And that's just direct quotations. That's not even beginning to count all the indirect quotations that are other places in the Bible. So seven times verses from this passage today are quoted in the New Testament. And truth be told, it's really not that much of a stretch to preach this passage on Palm Sunday because our passage today starts out in Isaiah 52:13, saying, See, my servant will act wisely. He will be raised and lifted up and highly exalted. On Palm Sunday, there were people who were praising Jesus and exalting him. They were lifting him up, shouting praises to him. They were hoping that he was the promised Messiah of the Old Testament. And one of the main places that people looked to in the Old Testament for these messianic prophecies was the book of Isaiah. Four or five times, depending on how you count them, the book of Isaiah tells us about a coming servant. Now, it's all, it's all history for us because it's all already happened, but Isaiah, writing in the year approximately 700 B.C., was foretelling about this servant who would come into the world. Now, if you remember all the way back to Christmas... I, I preached on one of these servant passages from Isaiah 42. And, and in that passage, as well as some of the other ones in Isaiah, we see that this servant was going to bring salvation not only to Israel, but also to the nations. And as such, he is worthy of praise. So the people in Jesus' day were getting really excited about the idea of this servant, this Messiah coming, and at the, at the hope of him coming, when they saw Jesus starting to fulfill some of those things, they rejoiced. That's why on Palm Sunday they worshipped him. They were exalting him. 
That's why in a, eventually in a verse like Philippians 2.9, it says about Jesus, Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. So when Jesus was receiving worship on that first Palm Sunday, it was the appropriate thing to do. He is the one whom God was going to exalt to the highest place. In, in Isaiah 52, it said he would be exalted, and on Palm Sunday, he was exalted. But Palm Sunday was an interesting day, not just for what happened that day, but also for what happened the following week. On Palm Sunday, people praised Jesus, but a few short days later, there was another crowd of people yelling, crucify him. You see, the praises of Palm Sunday were short-lived. And yes, some people worshipped him, but some people wanted him dead. So today we're going to read this story from Isaiah about this servant, who he was, and what happened to him. But before I, I jump into Isaiah, I want to tell you a story from my life about this passage. Uh, many of you know that I spent about a year of my life in Turkey as a missionary, and uh, obviously ran across a lot of Muslims there. It's, they say it's more than 99% Muslim there, so you don't have to look too far to find one. But I was in a conversation with a devout Muslim one day, and I, I got this idea in my mind to read this passage from Isaiah 52 and 53. So I said to him, I'm going to read this passage, and I just want you to tell me who it's talking about. Because remember, Muslims don't believe that Jesus died on the cross. Uh, they, they don't think that that happened. Uh, they don't think that God would have let that happen to their honored prophet. So I read this to him, Isaiah 52 and 53, and I asked him, who is it talking about? And he correctly answered, it's talking about Jesus. And then I said to him, did you know that that was written some 700 years before his death and resurrection? Now, we Christians might be uh, very familiar with this, that the, the Old Testament told us that Jesus was going to die for our sins. But let's just stop for a moment in amazement and remember that 700 years before it happened, God told his people it was going to happen. You see, God is very trustworthy in all he does. He has given us his word, and there are a lot of promises in the Bible. Some of them have already been fulfilled, and the ones that have not yet been fulfilled will be. We can take that to the bank. So I think it's really fascinating that this passage here tells us what happened to Jesus, but it tells us some 700 years before it happened. It's really cool. Okay, so let's look at our passage. We're going to start in Isaiah 52. And um, what I'm going to do actually today, as well as, Palm, uh, excuse me, as well as Good Friday and Easter Sunday, I'm going to walk through starting Isaiah 52 through... 13, and go through the end of chapter 53. Today we're just going to go to verse 7, though, and we'll pick up on Friday and Sunday by finishing off the rest of the chapter. Okay, so starting in Isaiah 52, 13. See, my servant will act wisely. He will be raised and lifted up and highly exalted. Just as there were many who were appalled at him, his appearance was so disfigured beyond that of any man, and his form marred beyond human likeness, so will he sprinkle many nations, and kings will shut their mouths because of him. For what they were not told they will see, and what they have not heard they will understand. Who has believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot, and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, 
a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering. Like one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows, yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. Now help me fill in the blank on this next verse. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before her shearers is silent so he did not open his mouth. So I've already mentioned some things about Isaiah 52.13 about how Jesus was highly exalted. There's this high view of the servant who was coming into the world. But then look what happens in verse 14. It says that people were appalled at him and that he was disfigured and his form was marred beyond human likeness. The servant who came to bring salvation was beaten and killed. How did it go from exaltation to rejection so quickly? Well, that's part of what I want to investigate today. Why would the one whom God sent be treated so poorly? I think the beginning of our answer is in verse 1, the first part of it, which says, Who has believed our message? You see, God sent his message, and he sent his message through a messenger, Jesus Christ. But we see in verse 2 already some reasons why people would reject. Because when a messenger comes, there's really only two things you can do with the message. You can either receive it or reject it. And in verse 2, we see some of the reasons why he was rejected. In the second half of the verse, it says, He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. The servant came, but he didn't exactly look the part. You see, some of the Old Testament passages that talked about the coming servant talk about him as a conquering king. And when you get a picture in your mind of a conquering king, what do you think? You think of somebody majestic, somebody strong, and that perhaps what the people were looking for. But when Jesus came, he looked normal. He came with this amazing message from God, but he looked normal. It says that there was nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. Now it's funny how some of our modern depictions of Jesus have him as this really attractive person. Have you noticed that? Um, I googled the phrase Jesus in the movies and I looked at the images and uh, looked to see what I would find. There was one image of Jesus where he was holding a gun. I don't think that that was exactly right. But uh, there were a couple of other images. Well, actually, most of the images of Jesus, I shouldn't say most, a lot of the images of Jesus were just really attractive. And like some of them were so attractive, you almost had to like look away. Like some of them, he just had these piercing blue eyes and this, you know, this wavy hair. I saw one picture of, they called him surfer Jesus. You know, just wavy blonde hair and piercing blue eyes. Like, is that what he looked like? I I highly doubt that Jesus had blue eyes. And it says in here that he had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. But that fits in actually with the biblical pattern of who it says Jesus is. In Philippians 2, which is an important passage, um, Jesus came in humility as a servant. Do you ever notice a servant? If you're going to somebody's house, like somebody really famous, somebody really rich, do you, do you notice the servant? That's kind of what was going on with Jesus. He was the one whom God sent, 
people overlooked him. He came with a powerful message, but when he gave that message, some people looked at the messenger and were unimpressed. And then look at verse 3. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering. Like one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. A few months ago, I was reading that verse, and I was stopped in my tracks. Which, by the way, I hope that happens to you every once in a while as you're reading the Bible. Does that happen to you? You're reading the Bible, you're going along, and then all of a sudden one verse just stops you, and you think, whoa. Whoa, I need to think about that one. That, that should happen. It, I'm not saying it should necessarily happen every day to you, but I, it should happen every once in a while that we're reading God's Word and something strikes us and we just have to stop and think about it for a while. That happened to me with this verse. So think about it. The Son of God, the Messiah, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the one through whom the world was created, He came to this earth and how was He treated? He was despised. That word despised is used elsewhere in the Bible talking about a battle that the Israelites had won. They routed their opponents and afterwards they were collecting the plunder from that battle. And what do they do? They pick the best stuff of that battle. You know, they're looking through the field and saying, yeah, I'll take that, I'll take that, I'll take that. They took all the stuff that had value to them but there was other stuff that they didn't take, other stuff that they looked at and said, no, I don't need that. And that's the stuff that it says was despised. That's what happened with Jesus People were looking at him. People were looking at the things in this world that they wanted. Yeah, I want that, I want that, I want that. They gathered all the things they wanted. They looked at Jesus and they said, no, I don't need that. And then at the end of the verse 3, it says, and we esteemed him not. The word esteemed means to think about something. Now, it's shocking to me at this point. God sent his son with an important message but when the people of the world saw him, their response was not even to give him a second thought. Or for some who did give him a second thought, their thought was that they should kill him. In the Gospel of John in the New Testament, we read these verses. Chapter 1, speaking of Jesus coming into the world, it says, He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. So think about that. Again, the world was made through Jesus. That's the consistent testimony of Scripture, that God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit were all active in creation. So here's Jesus, the Creator, coming to His creation, and the response of the world was not to receive Him. Not even to give Him a second thought. The theologian John Oswald put it well. He said, The servant has come to take away the sins of the world, but no one pays any attention to Him. And even those who didn't persecute him, they just simply turned their faces away. I was talking with one of my pastor friends this week about verse 3, and he had a, a great title for it. He called it the great misjudgment. The great misjudgment. When Jesus came, he should have been recognized as the creator. Think about all that Jesus is and has been since eternity past. Son of God, King of Kings. The one who came full of grace and truth to show us love from God, to show us wisdom from God, to be the way and the truth and the life. People didn't even give him a second thought. 
Now it's easy for us to look back at Christians, as Christians now and say, how could they have made that mistake? But let's be honest, that same mistake happens today over and over and over again. And it happens both for non-Christians and it even happens for us as Christians. That same mistake, the great misjudgment. So let's look at it. First, let's look at it from the perspective of non-Christians. How do non-Christians view Jesus today? Now, there are thousands of ways to answer that question, right? And in fact, many non-Christians, I've heard them say this, they say things like, oh, I really respect Jesus and his teachings. But at the end of the day, unless a person has given their life to Jesus as Savior and Lord, the bottom line is that they esteem him not. Even today, people take a look at Jesus, they size him up, and they consider him to be of little value. They look at the things in this world that they want, and they look at Jesus, and they say, no, thank you. Some people don't like his teachings. Some people don't like the idea of what their lives might have to look like if they started to follow him. Some people don't want to take the time to get to know him more. And some people would rather hang on to their own way of life than submit their life to Jesus as master. Even today, all over the place, people reject Jesus. But then what about us as Christ followers? Are we any better? Do we ever look the other way? Do we ever hide our faces from Jesus? Do we ever esteem him not? Do you ever hear a message from Jesus and not give it a second thought? Do you ever read your Bible and forget that you're reading the word of God? Do you ever come to a worship service and forget that the idea is to enter into the very presence of God? Never forget to worship Jesus? See, we all fall short sometimes. We know that Jesus Christ is Lord, but we know that that doesn't simply mean that he is divine. It means that he's our master. He is our rightful owner. And the proper response for us is to continually turn our thoughts towards him. Yet so often we fall short of that. So let's just take that as a reminder today to keep listening to Jesus. God sent him to this world with an important message. Let's keep looking to him. Let's keep our eyes on him and trust that as we keep our eyes on him that God will change us. He'll do his work of transformation in us. Okay, let's move on to verse 4 then. In that verse we see that Jesus carried our infirmities and sorrows and people considered him stricken by God. And what that means is that people basically just thought that Jesus got what he deserved. You think about that at the cross. There were lots of people there that were saying, well, God must be okay with this whole deal. Um, he's getting what he deserves then. And Jesus was punished. Remember back in verse 14, it talked about how he was appalled and disfigured and his form was marred beyond human likeness. That is difficult language. It's difficult to think of our Savior being treated that way. And it's stunning to think about Jesus, who had no sin of his own, never did anything wrong, came to show us the love of God, and he was beaten and tortured and killed. And there were people on looking there, shouting, crucify him. Why? Why would people do that? Why, maybe the better question, why was Jesus punished that way? Well, look at verse 5. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. 
You see, it was our sins that he died for. He took on our punishment. Our sin separates us from God. There's a verse in Isaiah 59:2. It says, but your iniquities, your sins, have separated you from your God. That would have been our punishment had Jesus not stepped in and taken our punishment upon himself. He willingly did that. And the result for us, peace and healing. It's amazing. By his wounds, we are healed. It also says in verse 4 that he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows. Anybody in here struggling with infirmity or sorrow? Think those two words, they get at the idea of both of physical pain, but then also emotional pain. Anybody in here experiencing any physical or emotional pain? Jesus died to take that away and to give us peace. Now, the fulfillment of that awaits us in heaven. If we're looking for the ultimate fulfillment of that time when our sorrows and iniquities and our infirmities are taken away, it's in heaven. But think about heaven for a moment. Whatever you're struggling with now, you won't struggle with there. Because in heaven there is no death or mourning or crying or pain. So that's what Jesus did. He came to take those things away. And I was thinking about that this week. We're very familiar with the idea that Jesus is going to take away our sins. We often talk about him dying to take away our sins. But he also died to take away our infirmities and our sorrows. It's one of the blessings that we will get to walk in in heaven. No death or mourning or crying or pain. So if you struggle with those things now, please know that in Jesus Christ they will be taken away forever. And yes, the final fulfillment of that awaits us in heaven, but I think that there's an initial fulfillment in there for us now. That in Christ right now, as we go through these struggles, we can know that he has paid the final price. And that even though we may have to struggle through those things right now, we know that he is with us in the midst of them. He is very good. Whatever we go through, we know that the victory is won, that God loves us, and that he is with us. So the point of the cross here, I'm going to put it here on the screen, is my big idea. Jesus died our death so we could live with God forever. The, the punishment that should have been ours was placed on him, and he died. And the reason he did that was so that we could live forever, and not just any kind of life, but eternal life, perfect life. But it's a relationship as well. We talk about that a lot here at Cornerstone. It's a relationship in which we should constantly be thinking about him. Remember in verse 3 it says that we esteemed him not? Our lives should be full now of esteeming him all the time. We should always be thinking about Jesus and what he did, seeking to live our lives according to what he said, according to the power that he supplies as well. The only other choice is to go the other way, to go our own way. And look again at verse 6. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. We humans are pretty good at picking our own path. Now, I don't mean that we're successful at it. I don't intend to say that the paths that we pick end up going the way that we want them to. In fact, it's quite the opposite. What I'm simply saying is that we humans like the idea of choosing our own path. Remember those choose-your-own-adventure books that you had when you were kids? I love those. I got to choose my own way. We love to choose our own way. But the result here in verse 6 
is that we go astray. And the result eventually is death. It's ironic. We fully intend as human beings to pick the best possible path for ourselves that we can, yet the, the broad path, the, narrow, the, the, excuse me, the, the easy path, the one that we so often choose, is the one that leads to death. We're trying to get life, and so often, as humans in general, we pick the path that leads to death. It doesn't fulfill, it doesn't satisfy. We are lost and wandering. In the New Testament, there's this verse in 1 Peter. It says, For you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. See, God saw that we were lost, so he sent Jesus for us. We were the ones who went astray. We were the ones who chose our own path. We were the ones who rejected God and his ways. That is sin. Who did God punish for it? Remember the pronoun game? Billy disobeyed his parents. Billy got grounded. Jan didn't study. She failed the test. We went our own way. And the punishment, <coughs> the punishment that brought us peace was laid on him, on Jesus Christ. It's an amazing thing. You know, uh, maybe I've come across it in kind of a corny way here with this whole pronoun game thing, but uh, I hope you see the point of it. There is a stunning transaction that went on here. We deserved punishment, and God laid our punishment on the son whom he loved so that we could be forgiven, so that we could be with him. Jesus died our death so we could live with God forever. Now, theologically, that's called substitution. One dies for another. Substitution is written in the very fabric of the lives of the Israelites in the Old Testament. All throughout the Old Testament, we see this idea of they sin, they offer a sacrifice to carry that sin. Day after day, year after year, there were sacrifices offered at the temple. But those sacrifices could never make a person totally clean forever. Otherwise, they would have stopped being offered. But Jesus Christ came once for all as our perfect sacrifice. None other is needed. His death for us. And then look again at verse 7, how Jesus offered himself. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before her shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. He went silently to his death. He could have stopped it. In one of the Gospels, we're told that he could have called on legions of angels. He could have done a miracle. He could have argued his case. But he didn't. Why? Because he knew it was the Father's will. In humility, he obeyed his Father, even to the point of death. That's Philippians 2 language again. You might want to read Philippians 2 sometime later today. Jesus fully obeyed his Father, and I think Jesus was thinking about us too. He knew that he was purchasing salvation for us. So he went the full distance. Jesus died our death so we could live with God forever. Okay, we're going to stop there for today. Like I said, on uh, Good Friday and Easter Sunday, we're going to continue looking through the rest of Isaiah 53. But for now, I want to stop and ask what this means for us what does this mean for us today? That's where we should get to when we're studying the Bible. We look at it in its original setting, and then we ask, what do I do with it? 
So I've got three points of application for you today. And the first one is that I want you to understand that sin is a big deal. It's such a big deal that Jesus died for our sin. We often treat our sin like it's no big thing. We often compare our sins to the sins of others and say, well, hey, mine's not that bad. Or maybe we get this idea, well, God will just overlook my sin because my sin isn't that bad. It's sad to me that we think that our, that our view of our sin is that it's not that bad. But let me say it this way. Jesus didn't die because we weren't all that bad. God would not have sent Jesus to die if we were not all that bad. Jesus died for us because we were all that bad. And that's all of us. That's not just the murderer on death row. That's every single one of us who were sinners and had earned eternal separation from God by our actions. You see, God is holy and he will not let sin into heaven. And that means that we cannot get into heaven as sinners. But praise the Lord, that's why he sent Jesus to cleanse us. So that as we come before God, for those of us who have received Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, we don't approach God then as sinners. We approach God as those who have been made holy and righteous. That is the gift of God given to us in Jesus Christ. But what it means is that our sin is a big deal. And I don't want us to walk around thinking that it's not a big deal. You see, God is perfectly holy. Um, a pastor once told me that the two main attributes of God are holiness and love. I'm still, after like seven years, I'm still trying to wrap my brain around it and, and see if I agree with him. And I, I think he's on to something, though. Think about it. God's holiness and God's love. And think about how at the cross we see the perfect coming together of the two of them. In holiness, our sin had to be punished. So again, think about how, how big of a deal our sin is. It's such a big deal that Jesus had to die for it. God wouldn't just turn his head the other way and say, okay guys, uh, I know you're sinners, but come into heaven anyways. What would heaven be like if God allowed sin into it? God is holy, so he punished sin but he punished it in his son. And that was an act of love because in God's love for us, he made the way for us to be made righteous. So I want you to think about the cross that way. I want you to think about how God showed us how holy he is and how much he loves us. Second, there are only two responses to Jesus. Either we receive him or reject him. It's so easy to go through this life and not give a second thought to Jesus. And all around us, that's what people are doing. But let's be people who give careful thought to him. Let me tell you a quick story from the New Testament. In John 6, uh, a bunch of people had started, started following Jesus because he had these amazing miracles, these amazing teachings. But then in John 6, he started to give some really difficult teaching. And some of the people started to say, hey, Jesus... Uh, that's a little strange. That's, I'm not sure I'm on board anymore. And they kind of, you know, they, they were looking at the valuable things in their lives and they started to look at what Jesus was saying and thinking, I don't know if I want that anymore. And it says that many of them left him that day. And then Jesus turned to the twelve apostles and said, you do not want to leave too, do you? And Peter answered, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Some people looked at Jesus and they were unimpressed. Not just with the way that he looked, but also with what he said. I hope that we are different. 
I hope that we look so intently at Jesus that when we, when we hear him say something, that we are cut to the heart. And that our response is to constantly give him a second thought. To constantly live our lives according to what he says. So the choice set before us, will you receive or will you reject? I mentioned John 1.10-11 earlier in which people didn't receive Jesus. Even though he's the creator, he came and it says they didn't receive him. But then in the very next verse in John 1.12, it says, Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Two important words in there, received and believed, basically mean the same thing. They mean that we give our lives to him. It means we live according to his ways. It means we worship him. Because you see, the only other option is that we would go our own way. At the end of the day, there's only two options, receive or reject. Jesus came that we might have life. We receive that life by giving our lives to him. The Bible calls that dying to ourselves. And isn't that interesting? The only way that we can have true life is if we die to ourselves and give our lives to Jesus. It's ironic. Again, the, the natural way to think about it, according to our sinful nature, according to the ways of this world, according to what we see all around us, is that we live our lives according to what we think is best. And we're trying to gain life for ourselves by making the decisions that we want to make. But the only way to have true life is to receive it from Jesus by dying to ourselves and receiving the life that he gives us. It's life through death. And that is the way that God himself has set it up. And again, Jesus died our death so we could live with God forever. He died for us. Our response is to be to die to ourselves, to give our lives to him, and to walk with him. And then third and finally, application for today, let's not simply offer God a palm branch Let's offer our whole lives. These palm branches will fade. And I, for those of you that, that took one home or for those of you that want one, we have extra ones up here, I encourage you to put them on your table. You know, put it in a vase, put some water in it, whatever, and, and watch what happens to that palm branch over the course of this week. You, you know, there's, there's a certain amount of beauty to a palm branch like this and we set it on our table and it looks nice, but you'll start to notice something over the, the next few days. You'll start to notice that it fades. You'll start to notice that it curls up and starts to get withered. You'll start to notice that it'll turn colors and not look as alive as it used to be. And I've always loved that picture as a picture of what can so easily happen with our worship. Our worship is not just meant to be something that we give to Jesus one day. The better way to worship God is to give him our whole lives and here's the cool part about this, and this is, this is kind of a, a little mini recap from the Haggai series that I just finished. God wants to transform us and glorify us. In 2 Corinthians 3.18, it talks about how when we, when we gaze at Jesus, when we enter into his presence, that God brings us through a process where he makes us more like Christ and gives us ever-increasing glory. So these palm branches are going to fade and wither and die. But God wants to bring us through a process in which we have this ever-increasing glory with which we can worship Jesus. That's the work 
of our creator God giving us new life sustaining us and the life that he wants us to live is a life where we constantly come back to Jesus and esteem him where we constantly think about how he wants us to live our lives so if you haven't yet received Jesus I urge you to do it right now and for those of you that have received Jesus Let's continue to worship him, not just for one day, but offering our whole lives to him and trusting that God can give us the life that is truly life. The life that he gives us through his son, Jesus Christ, who died for us. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you that you have new life for us. Jesus, we thank you that you came to purchase that new life at the cost of your life. Jesus, thank you for going the full distance, not just stopping on Palm Sunday, not just receiving the exaltation from the crowd, but then going into Jerusalem and going to your death for us. We thank you and we praise you, Jesus. And we pray that we would be people who esteem you rightly, who continually think about you. May we set our eyes on you. You are the author and the perfecter of our faith. May we live our lives according to the truth of who you are. And as we do that, as we meet with you, God, we pray that you would transform us, make us more like Christ, and give us that ever-increasing glory with which we can glorify you. So God, help us to live our whole lives for Jesus. I pray that we would give our lives fully to you, trusting that you have new life for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.